It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out The Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB show. My name is Michael Bauman and I am a staff writer at the Ringer. Joining me today are Ringer staff writer Zach Cram. Hello, Zach. Hello. And Ringer staff writer Ben Lindbergh. Hello, Ben. Hello, friends. Uh, Zach, you wanted to to bring an announcement today. You wanted to celebrate a holiday that that transpired last evening. Yes. uh, We are now officially at the point of the MLB season that Stats have stabilized. We can trust every number we see. And it might seem early for that because we are but a week into the season. Teams have played just seven games, some even fewer than that. But Mike Trout is now atop the Fangraphs War leaderboard, so everything makes sense now. It's normal. We are in stat stabilization season. And happy day to all who celebrate. So that makes Lance Lynn the the AL Cy Young front runner because uh, last week obviously we were bemoaning the the lack of pitchers going deep into games. No longer Lance Lynn has thrown a complete game shutout uh, last night against the uh, I, I would say a surprisingly feisty Orioles lineup. 110 pitches, 11 strikeouts, no walks, no runs, five hits allowed. Ben, I'm curious to get your reaction to this because we were obviously part of the national TV audience that watched Shohei Otani's, you know, really impressive outing on Sunday. International audience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So with that in mind, did it surprise you to learn that major league pitchers can last long enough into a game to, to record the win (laughs) while hitting though? I don't see Lance doing that. He could, if he wanted to, (laughs) I'll tell you one stat that has stabilized James Paxton's 2021 innings total. (sighs) Yeah, I was trying not to because like <laughs> you could have rubbed it in. You could have declared I decisive was, victory in the Paxton versus Lynn battle. So this is how I could have. And I did years ago, by the way. So it didn't. It, <laughs> no, I so like extending the bit to James Paxton, who is actually a pitcher that I like and I want to see succeed uh, the bit notwithstanding. He's getting Tommy John surgery. I don't want to, you know make fun of that yeah he's um, been through enough yeah <laughs> he's been through every entry it's it's sad to see because i enjoy watching james paxton too and we just haven't gotten to do that very often yeah it's it's really a shame you know um but again the bit is not at james paxton's expense it's, it's zach's expense because <laughs> <Right. laughs> like we've been doing the show together for a while now and zach is almost never wrong i don't know if you uh <laughs> listening at home uh have noticed this but when he's wrong he's wrong huge so, Zach, my condolences to to you getting the, the fuzzy end of the lollipop here. I believe the saying is, go big or go home. Yes. And that is how I treat my predictions. <laughs> You've done both. Um, speaking of going home. Ugh, okay, that was a terrible segue. Uh, news out of uh, Major League Baseball offices. They have tagged Trevor Bauer's balls as suspicious 
this report from Ken Rosenthal at the at the at the Athletic. Um, Major League Baseball has collected uh, or has collected balls from Bauer's last start uh, to be tested for a foreign substance. Uh, this was something that Bauer's been out- outspoken about. Uh, in I don't know, I read it in a book somewhere um, that that pitchers were using sticky substances to to gain spin rate. Uh, he talked about it a lot. He made a big uh, stink about how the Astros might be doing it. And then surprisingly, uh, started winking at the camera a lot. And his own spin rate went up in his Cy Young season. And Major League Baseball decided to crack down. And guess who uh, whose head uh, was first on the chopping block? Yeah, we'll see if there actually is a chopping block, but for now, yes. it's just a report. I think that's one of the interesting questions that's that comes out of this. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't even need to inspect the sticky balls myself to see that there is something suspicious going on here since September 2019, when Bauer's spin rates leaped up suddenly and abruptly and dramatically. It was pretty clear that he had decided to join the dark side that after trying to be a whistleblower of sorts or at least to rain on everyone else's parade he just decided that he was going to get on in it too which you know i i begrudge him i guess about as much as i begrudge anyone who is doing that because he wasn't doing it as far as we can tell for a while and he did bring up the issue and mlb did not act on it and In a pattern for MLB, I think whenever there is some sort of scandal going on, I think they are kind of content to just let that simmer until everyone finds out about it or until there is really obvious evidence that it's happening. And now that we have StatCast, now that we have spin rates and we can see that this is having an effect... And I think in the wake of the Astros scandal, when they started to sweat a little bit about what other cheating scandals were lurking beneath the surface, they decided to crack down really last year. But then that got tabled probably because of COVID and everything else that was going on. So now they're trying to send the signal that it is for real. And Trevor Bauer has had his balls pulled And we don't really know whether he was targeted specifically or whether this is happening to many other pitchers and whether it's just being reported that Trevor Bauer had his balls pulled because he is so associated with this story. But I think really the interesting thing is not that he was singled out here or at least that he was using something suspicious because if you were looking at the data, you already knew that. But the question is, will they actually be able to prosecute him and will he stop? Yeah, and just to put some numbers to that data Ben is talking about, Trevor Bauer, the first few seasons of his career, uh, was averaging about 2,200 to 2,300 RPM on his fastball, which is near the lower end of Major League Baseball's leaderboards. Last year, that rocketed up to 2,776 RPM, an increase of nearly 500, and that led all starting pitchers. This year, he's basically in the same spot, 27. 79 rpm and that again leads all starting pitchers by i think nearly 100 this year number two this season among starters is mike minor who's down in the 2600s so he's obviously uh throwing with the most spin rate of any starting pitcher after not even coming close to that earlier in his career and ben as you've written about he even showed some uh extreme changes within seasons like in september 2019 when that september he just through with a lot more spin rate and that kind of presaged what he would do in 2020 as he won the Cy Young. So the data is really clear and Trevor Bauer has talked about the only way to increase spin rate is with sticky stuff. So I think like you say, Ben, it's very clear even without having to examine the the actual like stickiness on the balls themselves. But what's going to come up here is A, does Bauer actually get punished? I'm kind of withholding any judgment until we see what happens because you know in recent history unless you're going to put a slab of pine tar on your neck like michael pineda you're not going to get punished so I, i'm kind of skeptical that anything will happen until it does and b like as bauer has pointed out most pitchers are already using this stuff already so just because we don't see those 500 rpm spikes year over year maybe guys are just using it their whole career and i think that's where mlb is putting itself in a sorry for this pun, sticky situation by trying to figure out how to legislate this when it's very clear if you talk to anyone in the league that this is extremely widespread. Yeah, I think that speaks to, I mean, the reason that this is in the A block is one, it's the big news story from the the 
24 hours before we recorded the podcast, but less because we care about this issue uh, specifically more that we just like this opportunity to make jokes. Um, so this made me think of, of, I have a friend who's a tax lawyer uh, who I, I imagine he didn't come up with this phrase, but uh, the pigs get fat, the hogs get slaughtered. And I, I uh, brought that up when I wrote about the Astros scandal and a couple you know scandals in like rugby uh, a couple winters ago. And that's sort of what comes to mind here is it seems like everybody was more or less happy with the way things were going. Like the overwhelming majority of, of on the record player quotes that you'll see will say pitchers like having the better spin rate, batters feel more secure, uh, knowing the pitchers have the best grip possible on the baseball. So nobody really has a problem with this as long as it, as long as we keep up appearances. And that's, that seems to be the mistake that Bauer made, uh, drawing attention to, to something that was common. And, you know, it's, it's like walking into, the sec office and saying i'm going to do financial crimes like they don't care if you do financial crimes but they care if you if you announce it publicly they've got no no choice but to uh come down on you somehow or at least you know or if they're going to make an example of anybody they're going to make an example of the the guy who draws attention to himself um and so yeah i i don't know that that major league baseball is going to actually like suspend bauer or do anything fine him or deliver any kind of uh, official sanction. I think they're just uh, making a public stink. Like this is a, a marker. They're saying to paraphrase, pr- uh, paraphrase Elvis, we can't go on together with suspicious balls. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to give him too much credit for scheming here, but I don't know. Oh, that... I'm not giving him any credit. No, I know this you're giving him scheming. zero credit. Yeah, like... <laughs> I, I might give him slight credit, which is just to say that I don't know that he did make a mistake here. It may be that this was at least initially part of the plan, right? Because he did have that earlier instance before he started doing this full time. There was that one game where he just seemed to use something for an inning. And then it was just like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. See how my spin rates went way up in that one inning. It seems like he was sort of daring MLB to do something about this. Like this was a way to bring attention to this issue, which he was bringing up, but MLB wasn't actually doing anything about. Now he pitched really well and won a Cy Young award and became the best played, best paid player in baseball. So it's not as if he was only doing this just to raise awareness of this issue. But if that is what comes of this, if, you know, the byproduct of this is that MLB actually does crack down and he is punished for that, but everyone is punished for that, then you could say that that was sort of what he set out to do initially to to a certain extent. And I, I think it actually does matter. I, I think that I care more about this issue than I would have in the past just because we can quantify the effect of spin rates now. We have StatCast. We actually know that it matters. And I think that people, including Bauer, are probably doing a better job of finding the right mixture of sticky stuff like it's not just your standard pine tar they're yeah, using they said all it's kinds a, of concoctions there i mean this is how you know he got paid because he it, they said it's a foreign substance it's not even american-made pine tar it's, <laughs> it's st- fancy artisanal stickum from the stickum region of france exactly this is custom stuff so it does depend like it's not like every substance has the same effect you you use certain mixtures and it could boost your spin rate by even more and so if power is guilty of anything it's not that he is necessarily cheating any more than anyone else is. It's just that he may be cheating more effectively in this case than most other pitchers are because he has demonstrated what effects that he's gotten from this at driveline in the lab. So I think it actually does matter just because of the larger conversation about strikeouts and how unhittable pitchers are. And we've seen that teams have gone after pitchers with high spin rates. The average spin rate increases every year. That could be because pitchers are using more sticky stuff or more effective sticky stuff, or it could just be because teams are prioritizing pitchers who already have high spin rates. But whatever the reason, the spin rates keep rising and strikeout rates keep rising. And we're over a quarter of plate appearances now in the early season that are resulting in strikeouts, 25.2% which would be one of the largest leaps we've seen. And even though we're about a week into the season, those results are generally pretty predictive of where things will end up. And going back to pitcher hitting after a a year-long layoff, you would have expected that. So just saying now that we can quantify that, yeah, spin rates actually matter and give you more movement and more whiffs 
And because that's a larger concern for MLB, then I think it does make sense to crack down if you can. It's just hard to figure out how to do that because how do you actually legislate this? Will the players union go along with suspensions? Can you prove that a certain player applied the sticky stuff to the ball as opposed to, I don't know, the catcher or an infielder or some other nefarious person? You could say it was planted. Can you establish chain of custody here? So there are all sorts of issues when it comes to actually holding people responsible. The answer the answer to, to like the last four rhetorical questions that you posed is absolutely not. But I would love to see the chain of custody argument, like somebody like right. Bauer, like getting up in front of an arbitrator and uh, and saying that the umpire planned it. Like I would rather watch that than probably about 30 percent of actual major league baseball games. I think that could be a lot of fun to the point about the like custom substance development, which lends itself well to jokes, but I think this is another example of something we've talked about on the podcast before, that technology and the push for efficiency have kind of ruined a tenuous aesthetic balance that we had before. It might be true that pine tar or other kind of more basic substances were fine for both pitchers and hitters, and that's what they used for decades. But now that you're able to go to driveline and really experiment with the development of different kinds of substances and see what works best using high-speed cameras. Now that might push it too far. And I think that fits with a lot of what we've seen with pitching development that for a long time, you know, the the slight upticks in velocity were fine until it reached a certain edge and the push for efficiency it has made it harder to watch a baseball game. I think this fits just in line with that where like maybe MLB is acting on this now because who knows what it'll it'll look like in three or five or seven years if pitchers keep developing these new custom blends and getting even better with it. Like what will offense look like if that's the case? And I think if they act, it's kind of, I think think we might be asking that question. Yeah. It's not just a proactive measure because again, this has been happening, but I think it's not just reactive either. It's in response to what might happen in, in the coming future. Yeah, there's the the pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered element to that. But also, you know, I know I said that players don't seem to care that much about this. I don't think that like even I think that the the moral panic over PEDs in the 90s was way overblown. Uh, and like this is even less important than that. Uh, but with that said, if they scale back the, the the stickiness, if they make make the pitchers a little bit less sticky, uh, they, you know, if strikeout rates go down a little bit, if walk rates go up, if offense goes up a little, like, I'm not going to complain about that. I think I think it would make for a slightly better entertainment product. Yeah. And I've talked to pitchers even on the record who have said that the rationale that they need to use this stuff to have control so that they're not beating batters is mostly BS. (laughs) That that's just something that sounds good, but that realistically, like it doesn't actually make that big a difference. Like you should not be beaning anyone if you're not rubbing up the ball with something that you're not supposed to be rubbing it up with. So I don't think that would actually be as big a safety issue as it's been made out to be, or that batters really should be happy that pitchers are using this stuff. I think they should be unhappy given what we know about how it enhances their effectiveness. So I think it would be good either if you could outright ban it or if you could legalize it to a certain extent so that everyone is able to use a certain approved substance so that you just level the the playing field or if you can develop some sort of sticky ball that just has a tacky cover which they do use in other leagues and other countries but just haven't been able to use to everyone's satisfaction in MLB that's one potential solution too. But you know, now we're just going to get this uh, eyeing everyone's spin rates and pulling balls out of play and then trying to establish who applied the sticky substance. So you're saying we could go across the world looking for for sticky balls and trying to... That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't think you could outlaw it, you know, because then every pitcher in Major League Baseball decides to make honey barbecue chicken wings their pregame meal to get a, a better <laughs> grip on the baseball. But I don't know. I, we'll see what, what MLB actually does. I'm Like I said, I'm not taking a, a strong moral stand one way or another on this. I'm just sort of interested to see see how this develops. Um, one thing I actually, 
uh, Bauer himself, I guess we'll, we'll end on this unless you guys want to talk about sticky balls more. Um, he responded to Ken Rosenthal's story, which on, on Twitter, which, you know, learn to take it to G chat, like <laughs> at least once in your life. Um, but he, he, uh, referred to Ken Rosenthal, who's been covered in newspaper ink since before I was born. Like he called him a blogger and that's gossip old blogger. school, a gossip blogger. And like throwing around bloggers as an insult, like Zach, I don't even know if you remember this, but like, this was like 10 years ago that that's what, oh, of course you remember. Sorry. that was like, <laughs> <laughs> No. Do you I, remember? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I just like Ken Rosenthal's uh, he is who he is, but like, I don't want him stealing blogger value. I took crap for, you know, all the mother's basement jokes. And it's outrageous that the Bauer can't get his story straight and, and differentiate the bloggers from the, the traditional old school media guys. It's that's, that's the one thing that, that really upsets me about this story. <laughs> Maybe he's making a really high level comment about how the athletic doesn't publish anything anymore. So what is the meaning of a blog and what, what is it? What is it really worth? Yeah, it's media it, criticism. Yeah, exactly. You think Mister Mister Tech Guys is bemoaning the lack of of newsprint in <laughs> like the lack of permanency in online publishing? I think so. So, if you guys had to guess, will Bauer's spin rates mysteriously sink again in his next start or in an upcoming start? I don't or think they'll mysteriously going? do anything. Then, <laughs> <laughs> conveniently, let's say. Doesn't it? Doesn't he have to keep doing it though? He has to keep doing it at this point because if he does stop using using like it's PEDs, if he does stop using Pintar or whatever, or whatever I mean, he is drugs, using, but... well, then he just admitted that he won the Cy Young off of it, like out loud, essentially, and he, he won't do that. that. <laughs> I mean, he did pitch well in 2018 without these spin rates, so I'm not saying he's totally incapable of pitching at that level, but the fact that he had his best season and then completely cashed in immediately after that, it's interesting to think of, like, did the Dodgers factor this into their evaluation of him as well? Because this was not unforeseeable. Like, MLB sent a memo around last March saying that they were going to crack down on this, and then life happened and the world went crazy, but it was pretty predictable that they would resume that quest this season. So did they just think, well, that won't happen or he'll be good even if he has to stop using the sticky stuff or there's no way they'll make it stick, so to speak, to him? Or was that just not even part of the evaluation process or was that why they wanted to stick to a three-year contract that is essentially a two-year contract with the opt-outs just in case things went south just like four too many stick puns in this segment for me guys <laughs> no. so many ben you just did two back-to-back right there you didn't even realize the second one did all of I'm you just to a i'm not even contract. hearing it anymore <laughs> i mean did all of you just get the same pr email that says trevor bauer receives job offer from adult company to be chief ball officer following mlb investigation because uh, i just got stop. that no uh <laughs> I don't know what email list you're signing (laughs) up for, Zach, from your from your Spotify account. Um, Twitter suggests I am not the only one. I just searched and it appears a number of baseball writers have received this email. But to answer answer Ben's question, no, I don't think the the spin rate is going to conveniently drop, because if there's one thing I do understand about the predicament that Bowers put himself in, it's that he's committed to the bit so hard he can't give up now. And (laughs) I like I don't know how he could just like you were saying. Yeah, I guess it would take them just going out and catching him, you know, sticky handed on the mound, I guess, for it to actually stop it, until they prove that they can punish him for this. And I, I kind of wonder, like, if if the if they can't pin it on like a particular pitcher. Well, is, they can stick it to him. Uh, Bobby. <laughs> uh, is there a way to like make this a team penalty, like to punish the team collectively so that the pitcher is like peer pressured into stopping? I, I don't know if there's I mean, it's already a team penalty if the pitcher has to stop using the stuff that enhances his performance because that hurts the team. But if the question is like, well, we can't figure out whether it was the pitcher or the catcher or the third baseman who's throwing the ball back to the pitcher. I wonder if there's any penalty you could apply that's just like, well, it was someone on this team, so we will punish you as a whole. What I think Bauer's next opponent should do is 
get a huge bag of feathers and a giant box fan and blow the feathers toward the mound as he's as he's pitching. And if they stick to him, then they know he's a witch. <laughs> Home Alone style? Yes. I was thinking like tar and feathering style, but that's your thing's far less dark. Yeah, the whole like chain of custody argument reminds me a lot of the NFL's deflate gate saga where it was, you know, could you prove that Tom Brady uh, actually asked the balls to be deflated? Was it just equipment guys going rogue? And that was one of the more interminable sports controversies of my lifetime. So I hope we don't go down that path here. Like Mike was talking earlier about how whether you would apply a punishment to an individual player or team and the chain of custody argument there would be more fun than 30% of MLB games. I think that it could run the risk of developing into a worse spectator experience than like the ninth inning of a spring training game. I think this could go really wrong. I was wondering what, like this was tickling some part of my brain that was making me laugh. And I hadn't put together the ball Gazi thing until you did just now. And that's, that's exactly what we're looking at here. I think that's a really good comparison. Uh, I want to take a break, but I can't, I can't get my hand off the, the pause button on my recorder. Um, so I guess we're just going to go, it's stuck. Uh, so we're just going to go through a break and, uh, come back and talk about some of the other action in the week that's passed and the week to come. As a plant-based cheese company, Daya has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant-based together. So putting a slice of Daya cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef. Because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Daya, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Daya Oat Cream Blend. All right, before we go to substantive, oh, there's that word again, uh, to substantive stories from uh, from the week, I do want to bring up another interesting story from yesterday the end of end of yesterday's uh, Marlins Mets game uh Anthony Bass uh, came in uh Marlins closer and uh was having a little bit of a meltdown and was pitching to Michael Conforto in a tie game with the bases loaded through a two strike breaking ball uh for strike 3 and uh Matt James one of our designers put it Uh, Instead of pitching to the hot bat, he pitched to the hot elbow as Michael Conforto just chicken winged his his arm out there like like he's blocking a shot in a soccer. No, you can't even do that in soccer, like just throwing throwing his elbow out there. It bounced off his elbow pad uh, into the catcher's mitt. It was called a hit by pitch and uh, all hell broke loose. It was one of the funniest endings to a game that, that I've seen recently. Yeah, and the real tell was that the umpire was winding up to deliver his strikeout fist pump before then motioning to first base. So he knew what was in the strike zone. And I think that's as clear a tell as you can get that this should not have been a hit by pitch. He not only did not try to get out of the way, but leaned into the way of the pitch. And I think what was kind of surprising to me was then going to StatCast after this happened and seeing that it's not it's not unusual to see a hit by pitch on a ball thrown in the strike zone. There have been since 2008, which is when we have good strike zone data. Now 24 hit by pitches inside the strike zone. We got one from Tyler Heineman last year, one from Austin Meadows, the previous August, Victor Robles has three, including two in the span of a week. So I think it's interesting. And I watched a a lot of the videos that Statcast had available. Most of them are with a batter chicken winging uh, pitch up and in and kind of catching the edge of the strike zone. I think, the bass to Conforto pitch yesterday was more toward the center of the strike zone than most of these pitches, but it's not the most extreme. Like the Tyler Heineman pitch last uh, last season in July was even closer to the center of the strike zone than the Conforto pitch yesterday. So this is kind of a weird relic, and maybe it would be different if we had robot umps, which is an argument we perhaps don't need to get into today. But the thing about robot and robots and umps, I will say, is what is the point of replay if we can't get this right? I am against instant replay in general, but like if the whole premise of replay is we are going to make sure we get the calls right, why is this not reviewable? I don't understand. And 
Conforto should have struck out. Yeah, there are strange exceptions to what is reviewable and what is not. And it always seems like MLP doesn't want to relitigate judgment calls. Judgment calls are just set in stone, which is weird because ultimately every call is a judgment and we have a better way to make them if we can review the... Ooh, everything <laughs> is relative. Yeah, Ooh, I mean... There's no such thing as... <laughs> we can If we can review the footage in slow motion from a better angle or if we can look at the data as Zach just did, then we can get a better view of what actually happened. And it was very clear that what happened in this case was not what Ron Culpa saw in the moment. And he admitted as much. He said after the game that he made the wrong call here and that it should have been a strike because the pitch was in the strike zone. So now that we have a a precise way of measuring whether a pitch is in the strike zone, and yes, this is sort of a slippery slope to robot umps argument, but this was such an egregious call, really. I mean, for multiple reasons, right? A, because the pitch was in the strike zone, B, because Conforto made zero effort to get out of the way, and in fact, even (laughs) seemed to make the opposite of an effort to get out of the way. He tried to get in the way, and really, on two counts then, this should have been a strike, and uh, the call was blown in, in multiple ways and couldn't be reviewed, and the umpires also seemingly refused to get together to talk about the judgment call and potentially overturn it, so... They really just blew it, and the only strange thing was that this call went in the Mets' favor instead of against the Mets because this just seems like, yeah, I mean, in any previous year, this would have been a a classic Mets lose on a wacky, blown call, and now they're winning those games, so it's a new day. Did you see what uh, Chelsea Janes from the Washington Post said about the umpires? She said when when home plate umpire Ron Culpa said he got the the call wrong, she called it a mea culpa. (laughs) It's pretty good. Yeah, Yeah. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. As she also said, though, I think that, you know, this is uh, much like the foreign substance stuff that we were just talking about. This is something players are going to do if they can get a little edge. This is nothing new. If a player can stick an elbow out and get in the way of a pitch and also have a a big elbow protector on that makes that even easier and and more painless, then they're going to do that. So you have to put some rule in place to stop them or they will take advantage. And usually it's not going to end the game. And so it won't be as noticeable, but these cases happen. And sometimes it does take a really prominent and embarrassing example like this for MLB to actually amend its rules. You know, sometimes someone gets hurt and then you realize, oh, the safety issue that existed all along, we'd better close that loophole before someone else gets hurt. So maybe this will prompt similar change. So I think it's interesting that Conforto was the guy, I was going to say that this happened to. He, the Conforto is the guy who did this because he was one of the best hitters in college baseball back when this was a huge problem. Boo, college baseball, boo. Shut up, guys. I'm rebranding as pro college baseball this year, Bowen. It's you and me versus the world. And Jake and Jordan. They've they've red-pilled me. That's Wash awesome. U, Wash U is currently undefeated at number two in Division Three. I am all in on Division Three college baseball. <laughs> Especially when you're about to make a pro Michael Conforto argument via college baseball. Let's go. Well, I, so Conforto, I pulled up the stats. Like this was a thing you see, you'd see uh, hitters wearing those el- little elbow pads and sort of sticking their uh, their elbows out, and it was just a huge problem in college baseball when Conforto was there. And so he got hit by 38 pitches in 182 games when he was at Oregon state. Um, and so the NCAA and other guys like Ben, uh, former podcast guest, Nick Sine was like the king of this. Um, but this was such a, a problem that the NCAA like changed the rules. And now like half of college hit by pitches, uh, get called back because the umpire wants to get on TV. So it was, I don't, I know, one of the the Barber twins, whoever had the the account yesterday, made this point, and I think that it, it like definitely triggered that that memory for me of uh, Conforto being at Ohio State or not, sorry, at Oregon State when when this was a huge problem in the college game. We've talked about that enough. Let's talk about from from uh, ill placed arm appendages to uh, some sadder news: a couple of uh, shoulder injuries. One of them. Fernando Tatis, uh, my number one pick in the the Dodgers Padres draft, uh, my NL MVP pick, uh, had, he 
took his shoulder at partially out of its socket while swinging a bat is currently on the injured list and is uh, mulling whether he wants to play through it or get get a potentially season ending surgery. Yeah, this is a bummer, obviously, obviously one of the most exciting players in baseball on maybe the most exciting team in baseball. And now it's clear that this is a a recurring semi-chronic issue with Tatis with the injury he had in spring training and then evidently in years before that. And the news since he actually left that game has been pretty positive because it it looked terrible. It looked like season-ending injury when we were watching it in the moment. And since then, it's been, well, maybe he won't have to have surgery. And actually, he's going to be back pretty soon and he could play through this. But I'm skeptical. I mean, I'm hoping for the best. But the fact that this seems to be kind of an underlying repeated issue just is really going to make me worry about it throughout the season, which even if he does avoid re-aggravating this and going under the knife, it's going to be something that's in the back of my mind every time I watch him now, which is unfortunate because uh, watching him has been such a fun experience. And now I'm going to worry on every swing that he is going to be doubled over again, and then we will lose him for some period of time. Bobby, do you want to share your story? Because this was, this was the scariest (laughs) thing I heard in it had nothing to do with Padres team doctors. You want to talk about how Bobby, we started talking about this yesterday and Bobby Kool-Aid manned through the wall <laughs> to talk about his high school basketball career. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to fear monger. I, I just, it scared me a lot when I saw it because I had the personal experience of dislocating my shoulder and get, then going through this exact same decision when, when you do it once or in Tatis's case, when you subluxate it a couple times, it sounds like in his past, you start to potentially damage some of the, the ligaments in the shoulder and it's not necessarily bad for it to keep dislocating unless you continue to damage those ligaments and the only way to fix those ligaments is to stop it from dislocating every time because the more times you do it the more likely it is to continue happening is to have the surgery and the surgery sucks because you have to have one of those stupid pillow slings and it takes four to six months of recovery and uh you know it's just not a fun experience. So I, I, I'm scared for Tatis. It's not that interesting. I'm not a doctor, but uh, it sounds like he's going through a similar thing as to when I went through. And then you guys started asking me about how, how it happened. And I had to reveal that it was a lazy defensive rotation, which, you know, I live that one down every day. You got to hustle, man. It's, it's unsafe not to hustle. Um, so, yeah, I'm recognizing that Bobby's not a doctor, uh, which is something I keep forgetting. I Part of me thinks that he should just go ahead and get the surgery if this has the potential to get worse over time. Cause he's at the beginning of a contract that's 300,000 years long. Like he's got a long career ahead of him. I would, I don't know. I'm not as much as Bobby's not a doctor. I'm even less of a doctor, but it seems to me like if there's a, a chance that he could come back for the playoffs, if he gets the, the surgery now, I'd, I'd almost want to risk it if I was San Diego because it seems like he's going to have to get this taken care of eventually. And until then, he's just going to be playing hurt or playing tentatively. And we're going to be looking at him the way like the way Ben looks at uh, Otani every time he runs the bases or I look at Joel Embiid every time he goes up for a rebound. You know, I that just seems like get it over with. But this does point to from a, a team building perspective, something the Padres did well this offseason in following the Dodgers model to build depth. I think you heard a bit of chatter when they were signing everyone and signing Hassan Kim and re-signing Jerks and Profire, like where are they going to fit all of these players, particularly if there's not going to be a, a DH in the National League? And the answer is people get hurt. So now you have Hassan Kim, who was the best shortstop in the KBO last year to slot in at short, and you still have Jake Cronenworth at second and Profar in the outfield because, by the way, Trent Grisham is also hurt and Austin Nola is hurt. So this is really three-eighths of the Padres' best lineup now not playing right now, and, and the Padres are still a good team with a strong lineup. I think this puts them rather significantly behind the Dodgers, and that's disappointing because the Dodgers-Padres race was something I've been looking forward to for a while now, but the Padres still have, even with Tatis's injury better than 90% playoff odds according to fan graphs. So it's not like I mean for for the most part it's not like they're going to regret this injury by missing the playoffs it's just more likely that this forces them into a play-in game but they have the depth to withstand this inter- this injury for months at a time 
because they specifically went into the offseason with that goal in mind. Yeah, I hope we're wrong to be semi-pessimistic and that somehow he makes it through the season unscathed for the rest of the time. It's just it's hard for me to imagine this not affecting him mentally, even if it doesn't affect him physically, just having been through this multiple times now and to have it just happen on a swing and not many players swing harder or hit the ball harder than Fernando Tatis. And so if in the back of his head, he's thinking, I've got to back off a bit so that I can make it through the season then does that affect his performance? Does that get him into some bad habits? Will he not be 100% anyway, just because he is trying to avoid the really catastrophic injury? Because if this happens again, then you would assume that they'd shut him down. So again, I hope that that's not the case, but it just seems like a situation that it's not leading in a great direction. I mean, it, it seems almost certain that it's leading to surgery eventually. It's just, can he make it through the rest of the season before he has to do that? And it would be great if he could and didn't actually miss any time. But I don't know. It's it's kind of like the wariness you get whenever a pitcher has a flexor strain or a forearm strain or something. And you can just imagine, uh-oh, it's the UCL. And it's not always. It's really not. But we remember the many times that it is. And then there's part of you that just wants to rip off the Band-Aid or you know, rip out the UCL or whatever it is and just get it done, which is easy for us to say because we're not the ones in the sling and having to go through that rehab process. Bobby, did you have to wear the the pillow sling to to like prom? No, I did it in my in my sophomore year of high school, and I only had to wear the pillow sling for a month. But you had to wear it twenty four seven. Like even when you sleep, it, it wasn't a fun time. I hope that I think that Tatis would make it look cool though. So, Is that the origin of bulking season? You wanted to strengthen the the muscles around your shoulder to stabilize all your joints. I actually don't remember. Maybe it is the origin of bulking season. I think bulking season probably did come after that. Although I don't think bulking really helps you in this specific scenario. I think it's like a physiological thing with the with the ball and socket joint. But again, not a doctor. So before next week, Bobby, I want you to go get uh, board certified in orthopedic surgery so we can come to you with with these uh, with these questions. And you can actually give us, you know, more informed answers. If it meant saving Tatis's season or the next couple seasons or whatever, I would do it. All right. Let's talk about another Less celebrated injury, Trevor Rosenthal, the closer for the Oakland A's, uh, has had surgery to remove the first rib to relieve uh, thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, this is an increasingly, or it feels like an increasingly common uh, injury for pitchers. It's going to keep them on the shelf for a while. The prognosis for this is a little iffy. It's not as routine as, as Tommy John surgery is. And he was the big offseason addition for uh, for Oakland, a team that has been probably the biggest negative surprise of the season. Uh, so they're one in seven. They've been outscored 59 to 19 as we record. And admittedly, they've only played the Astros and Dodgers. So that's a, a tough way to start the the season, but their playoff odds, according to Fangraphs, have gone from the mid thirties to about 10% as a, in just a, a little over a week. Uh, I'm a little surprised that one team can do this much damage in, in one week. Yeah, their playoff odds are down 23% since the start of the season, and nobody else's playoff odds have dropped more than 12%. So their start is, if you want to look at that metric, twice as bad as anyone else's. And I think Rosenthal was supposed to play an important role. They lost Liam Hendricks, who is maybe the best reliever in baseball, certainly in the conversation. And Oakland has certainly a, a recent history of just plugging in a new closer basically every year. You know, Hendricks replaced Blake Trinan, who had previously replaced someone else, who had previously replaced someone else. So they have Rosenthal or had Rosenthal to step into that role. They don't have that anymore. And Oakland's offseason in general has looked really poor. Again, it's just a week, but Elvis Andrews and Mitch Moreland, their two hitting acquisitions are both worth a combined negative 0.7 war so far neither and, and that's stable now because trat's leading the league so we know that's <laughs> something yeah i, can I forgot we could we can make we can say that makes sense now um i'm curious to your point mike what the a's look like once they start playing non-division leaders but even in the first week of the season this isn't anywhere close to the start they would have wanted, especially because like the Angels are playing well too. And if both the Astros and Angels are playing well, that doesn't leave much room for Oakland in the playoff conversation. 
Yeah, and the A's also have a history of turning it on after slow starts, which normally I would be inclined to write off, but they've done it for so long. It's just been such a persistent pattern that part of me actually believes in it. So I would not be shocked if they fell behind and then had another hot second half. But really, the playoff odds that you cited before the season started, I mean, they were like a one in three shot to make it back. And this is a team that won the division last year. So it's not great if you win the division and you come in as a long shot before the season even starts. And that's a product of really budget conscious, uh, cheapskate behavior over the winter, which is nothing new for the A's, but was maybe taken to an extreme this offseason. They lost a lot of prominent players to free agency and they just replaced them all with sort of the budget generic equivalents of them. And that put them in a disadvantaged position. And so starting out the way they have, yes, against difficult opponents, but it's really put them in a hole here. So I think I wasn't optimistic about the A's coming into the season, but there have been plenty of seasons when I wasn't optimistic and then they put a run together anyway, and that could still happen. But as Zach said, there just was not a big buffer, not a lot of leeway here, and they've squandered whatever leeway existed. Yeah, I sort of built what you were describing into where I put them. I, th- I put them, I think, 15th or 16th in my preseason power rankings because I didn't really like the roster, but also I never liked the A's roster. Right. And they always make the playoffs. And and I think that, you know, that speaks to them doing a lot of a lot of smart stuff around the margins to to accommodate for the lack of payroll, the fact they have to turn over so much of their roster this year. They just, uh, they didn't really turn anything over. They just let a bunch of guys walk and didn't do that much to replace them. And the the thing about operating like that is, you know, we see this in Cleveland, Tampa, Milwaukee, uh, these quote unquote smart teams that, that make the playoffs on bottom third payrolls. There's not, there's not any margin for error. Like if something goes wrong, if, if you miss on a free agent signing, if, if your closer gets hurt, one week into the season, then you're sort of screwed. Whereas teams like the Padres can just roll out a top free agent to play shortstop when their best player goes down. And, and uh, yeah, just you can win like that. It's just really tough. And to say one word about Rosenthal himself, as opposed to just focusing on what this means for the A's, I really hope he bounces back. As Mike said, there's a little more caution here than with, Tommy John surgery, which has now been standard for a long time. Rosenthal's 2019 is one of the worst pitching seasons I have ever observed. He, with the Nationals, walked 15 batters and hit three in just six and a third innings. They released him. He bounced around. But then in 2020, he was one of the best relievers in the majors. He was a prize acquisition for the Padres at the deadline. Didn't allow a run down the stretch for San Diego as they returned to the playoffs. And and then was good enough to fetch an eight-figure contract in free agency. And I really hope he bounces back just so that isn't, you know, a 60-game season blip, but an actual return to form from a pitcher who was very good for a very long time and then just had the wheels fall off in Washington. Yeah, he he didn't record an out in his first four appearances that year. And I mean, Rosenthal somehow is only 30. Shocked that he's not like 37 because he's been like he's been through this three or four times now. Like he started as a position player, became one of the best closers in baseball, lost it, got hurt, came back, ended up having no command, you know, put it all together again last year, uh, got the the free agent contract. And and now, you know, it's Thrasic Gallo, which is a pretty scary injury for pitchers. Like he's been through about four careers worth of of ups and downs like this. Every time you guys say Rosenthal, I think you're talking about the gossip blogger. I actually, it's funny because his first name is Trevor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I, I meant to, I was talking to Craig Goldstein from, from baseball perspectives yesterday, which is a hell of a thing to admit on a podcast. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) the, uh, what'd you call him, Ben? An accomplished shit poster. Yes. Uh, and I had meant to send him the link to the, to the Trevor Bauer story and I had the wrong thing copied and I sent him the link to the Trevor, uh, the Trevor Rosenthal, uh, thoracic outlet thing. And he had no idea what the joke I had made was referring to. And he said, wait, you sent me the Rosenthal thing. And I was like, yeah, the Ken Rosenthal story. And <laughs> so who's on first and, right. and I don't know. And, and so on. 
For the A's, nobody, because nobody can hit. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Well, I'll, I'll say this about the A's. Like, they don't tank, at least. They are bad sometimes. They're also surprisingly good sometimes. And they have, throughout the years, not really done the total teardown and rebuild. I, I think the longest they've gone without a playoff appearance in the Billy Bean era is five seasons, I think. So they haven't had a really extended drought where they totally bottomed out and if you are going to be so hamstrung by pay, by ownership that your payroll will be among the lowest in the league every year, then you're inevitably going to have those downturns because you can't really build the super team that they've been competing against. You can just hope to put together a, a good enough roster to squeak into the playoffs for a few years in a row, or maybe better if you manage to, to build a great homegrown core. But I think you're inevitably just going to get some years where things don't work out and they miss out, but it's not going to be a total like Rocky style Nadir where you can never see the light at the end of the tunnel. And the Rockies made the playoffs a couple of times. <laughs> they did. Uh, yeah. So I, what you're saying is at least they're not the Mariners. Right. <laughs> who haven't been tanking for 20 years. They have just not made the playoffs, even though they've tried to win pretty, pretty frequently in that time. Yep. Um, okay, let's look ahead to what's coming up this weekend as we record on Friday and we uh, hopefully are shepherding you through your commute home from work. Uh, lots of interesting National League action. We get a rematch of that first uh, first weekend series uh, where the Phillies swept the Braves. The Braves will have their chance for revenge, uh, not against Aaron Nola, but against the, the rest of the Phillies rotation. Uh, I... I'm feeling like a little jaunty about this Phillies team. I don't I don't know if it's going to be safe. You guys, I don't think you guys knew me the last time the Phillies were good. But I think I think we're coming back to this uh I'm 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 getting the old feelings back, guys. I haven't. It's been so long. I'm marking this podcast recording, by the way. Just just yeah. bookmarking it. I'm not saying I'm not know. saying it's happening. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. I'm just saying like I can hear the train, like I can hear the train off in the distance, and it's it's coming in. Anytime you're optimistic, nothing but the righteous and the holy. I need to just save that audio file so I can play it back for you at a later point in your life. I so I had this thought. Uh, I actually wrote it down, meaning to to bring it up on the show. That was the last week's worth of games, like a really fun, entertaining week, or have I just been in a really bad mood since about 2017? I think they've been fun. Other than the automatic runner rule in extra innings, which makes me mad every time, I think yeah. it's, it's been a it's been a good slate. Uh, last night it, it got us uh, Mike Trout as the ghost runner in the first half of the inning, and yes. Alejandro Kirk in the in the bottom half of the inning. And I don't know, we you got to find joy where you can, I guess. Did I just say that? You're finding joy all over the place. Yeah, apparently. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this Phillies Braves uh, series, even if like. If Phillies win again, they're in really good shape going forward because I thought the Braves were pretty clearly the best team in that division. Um, we're also going to see the Dodgers and Nationals. And this is something that that I marked down that feels weird to say. The past two World Series winners. The Nationals World Series win pre-pandemic feels like it was so long ago. I did a double like take when you wrote that in the doc. Senators. It feels like, like Walter Johnson closed out Game 7. Well... Okay, bringing up Walter Johnson pitching in a Game 7 for the okay. Washington Senators, we have to at least mention this podcast's favorite baseball game of all time, the 1924 World Series Game 7. But moving on to, to the Dodgers and Nationals, obviously the Nationals are in something of a hole, having played only three games so far because of their positive COVID tests and the number of players who have, uh, who have been away from the team for a while. And I think they're... From a competitive perspective, their goal over the next few games has got to be just to kind of tread water, which we saw teams do last season, the Marlins and the Cardinals, when they were going through their bouts with the virus. And playing the Dodgers is not an easy way to do that. So I think the Nationals might be playing catch up after this weekend. Ben, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, I'm looking forward to a matchup that may have already taken place by the time people hear this, but the Yankees Rays 2020 ALDS matchup this weekend should be a fun one. And the Friday matchup between Corey Kluber and Rich Hill, who are two pitchers who pitch for the Yankees and the Rays respectively these days, which is tough to recall 
So this is a, a Friday afternoon game. So if you're listening to this when this is posted, check as quickly as you can because neither of these guys is going to go deep into that game. I am going to take a, a wild prediction that that's the case. But I enjoy that these players are on these teams now. I always support Rich Hill in all of his endeavors and destinations. So looking forward to seeing them go up against each other. And I am hoping that they can have a, a little resurgence here at the tail end of their careers. Ben, are you worried about the Rays rotation at all beyond Tyler Glass? Now, this is something we talked about in the offseason after they traded Blake Snell and declined Charlie Morton's option. Mike Trout, war jokes aside, I don't think it's meaningful at all that the Rays are currently in last place in the AL East, but the pitching beyond Glass now has not looked good, Rich Hill included. Granted, that's just one start, but I think between Hill and Colin McHugh and Chris Archer, who have been pitching as kind of piggybackers in relief, I, I am a little concerned. Michael Waka is also part of that group. I'm not sure what to make of this, this Rays pitching staff. No, it's not strong, at least on paper. Of course, like a year ago, we had never heard of half of the Rays bullpen, and then it turned out to be unhittable. So there is that Rays factor of just, oh, they might make these guys better. They might turn someone we've never heard of into a 100-mile-per-hour flamethrower. And they do have some depth, like they have the Luis Patinos of the world waiting in the wings if something goes wrong here. And, you know, in the Rays pitching model, it's just sort of, less uh, structured, less traditional starting staff versus bullpen. It's just kind of a, a big mix of people who go varying numbers of innings. And so it would worry me a little less with them just because of their depth and because of the way that they can just throw a bunch of pretty good relievers at you. But I agree that it does seem like, you know, much like Oakland, they lost a lot of high profile guys who had been good for them replace them with uh, the budget options. The Literally Michael Walker. <laughs> yeah. Literally Michael Walker. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a Mets move <laughs> that, that the Mets actually made and now the Rays are making. And so I believe in the Rays uh, getting something out of Michael Walker more so than I did with the Mets, but my belief has limits. Yeah, I think the issue is that these aren't guys we've never heard of. These are guys we have heard of and and we know their faults. Right. Now, careful if you uh, talk crap about Rich Hill, who's a, an interesting pitcher who's hurt a lot. Ben's going to get defensive. <laughs> yeah, yes. and I actually like I believe in Colin McHugh. I think he has had uh, some bad luck over the last few years, but he was really good in Houston, especially out of the bullpen. And if he's using that role, I think he could do a very good job in Tampa. They're just counting on a lot of these types of guys. Yeah, I'm, part of the problem is those guys that we hadn't heard of, like they, uh, you know, I'm just looking at their list of, of injured players. Like there are a lot of pop-up guys, Nick Anderson, partial torn elbow ligament, uh, Pete Fairbanks, strained rotator cuff, Colin Poche, Tommy, Tommy John surgery. Like these guys are awesome for like a year and now they're all hurt. And now the razor are scrambling to, to fill some of those holes with, you know, the incredibly durable likes of Chris Archer and Rich Hill and so on. And so, you know, I, Love Glass now. I love Ryan Yarbrough. I love Diego Castillo. But there's a lot of other innings that that they've got to fill. I'm sort it's sort of sort of like Oakland. I'm I'm less than inspired by some of the moves that they've made to to replace some really effective pitchers. Uh Ben, you looking forward to to Jack Leiter against Georgia? <laughs> well, I gotta watch something because Shohei Otani's not pitching this weekend. <laughs> so Georgia, Georgia lit up Kamar Rocker last night i'm shaken yeah i saw you speculating that uh, maybe he's tanking to avoid the pirates it would be the smart thing to do can he out tank the pirates the pirates are tanking to get him he could be tanking to <laughs> avoid the pirates it's uh the immovable immovable object chasing each the, other i can yeah. hear the okay that feels like a good good place to to end the show uh, thank oh, you mean you, the place where you start singing the score to Pirates of the Caribbean yeah, is a good that, place to end the show? A better place well, would have been right it, before that, probably. Yeah, right. <laughs> that means that we've run out of ideas, or at least I've run out of ideas. I, I don't anticipate we'll talk about the Pirates all that much on the podcast this year, but I think now every single time we do, 
Bauman needs to add some musical accompaniment. I, I Somebody tweeted me last week and asking when the unnamed playoff odds segment jingle was coming back. Like, And I appreciated him using the word jingle, which is uh, very generous for, for what that was. So, Sing yeah, something uh, from Dead Man's Chest. Do you guys know all the, the harmonies to the one sea shanty that was on TikTok? Here we go. Talking about TikTok again. No. All right. That will do it for this week's episode of the Ringer MLB show. Please, please, please follow us on Spotify. This show and uh, and the queue, which I'm calling it to to irritate Jake uh, on the Ringer baseball feed. The, our shows will become Spotify exclusive on April 14th. So be sure to follow us on Spotify uh, before then. Thank you, Zach. Until next week. Thank you, Ben. My pleasure. Thank you to Bobby Wagner for producing this episode and uh, telling us all about his janky shoulder. And uh, thank you to Michael Conforto and Sticky Balls for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the weekend's action, and we'll see you next time.